This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. I'm David Merrill. It's good to have everybody back on the show with us. We've got a fun guest today, um, somebody who I really enjoy hanging out with and talking to on her podcast and radio show as well. Shireen, it's good to have you on the show today. So thanks for stopping in. Yeah, I've had the pleasure of having you both uh, at the radio <laughs> station. And uh, now I get to be on the flip side in the hot seat myself. And uh, I'm not used to it. So uh, I apologize if I, uh, you know, no, it's uh, it's great to be here. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, to talking about our topic today. Yeah. So for the people who don't know, Shireen is an avid fly fishing angler who travels quite a bit and pursues a whole bucket list of species. Mm-hmm. Um, and utilizes, you know, public and private land. We'll talk about that a little bit more, but tell us about just real quick, just some of the cool places you've been in the last year or so. And, you know, some of the favorite, you know, species you like to catch. Yeah. Without blowing up any spots, I will for sure. (laughs) Um, a couple of them I won't mention, but, uh, Alaska, Belize, uh, California, a couple of the spots that I've, I've trekked to uh, outside. It's not normal that, you know, we're going to California. Normally they're visiting us. And so I thought, you know what, we got to maybe do the, the reverse here and go down and, uh, you know, utilize some of their, their good fishing. So those are some of the places I've been, of course, all the areas in, in the Northwest and the Rockies are, are my favorite personally. So if I can choose to stay home, uh, I do for the majority, but traveling for fly fishing is my main passion. And uh, yeah, so uh, fishing and uh, traveling is great, but right here is even better. So well, we live in a pretty good state for catching fish and you know getting out in in the wild. So what what would be one of your favorite species to target with a fly? Uh, I've been I got kind of hooked on the saltwater, um, you know, a bit. I've been to Florida a few times and then Belize this last year, and um, I fly fished a couple other uh, warmer states too as well for saltwater. Um, so yeah, I haven't got a tarpon. I went and chased permit in Belize. I got skunked <laughs> on the permit. You know, when I went down to Belize, they said this is the windiest it's like ever been. Did you bring that from home with you? <laughs> Possibly. I said, I yeah. think it does follow us like a little tornado. Um, and so the permit fishing wasn't, uh, wasn't on key for me there. So permit tarpon, um, redfish, another one that I'd really like to. So yeah, I guess I just talked about loving being in, you know, the freshwater, but uh, I got kind of addicted to the salt water and it's something I haven't done enough of. So how'd you get your start in fly fishing? Um, I, you know, I just had a desire to fly fish. I worked with some old timers that fly fished a lot. Wanted nothing to do with taking me fly fishing. (laughs) Young whippersnapper. I was 19 years old and I really had this desire and it took me like two or three years to find somebody that would actually like take me out. And I was actually hosting um, a sports show, an outdoor expo, and they were doing a fly casting competition. And so I announced it for the folks who were competing. And at the end, I decided I wanted to try it myself. And I did pretty good and I really felt comfortable and I liked it and I loved when I felt that line zing out and that was the first time and then the fly shop actually was like, hey, for hosting this, you did good on your cast, we're going to take you out to the Missouri, which is one of the best trout fisheries. It goes neck and neck with the Green River on fish per mile. It's in Montana and uh, so... 
they took me there for, for two days, got me hooked. And so I always promote folks. If you're getting into fly fishing, much like hunting, you don't want people to have a completely, you know, terrible experience where they won't get into it. And that's what we talk a lot about with kids too. You know, you want them to have that good experience. And so get a guide, you know, you'll, you're almost guaranteed to get put on the fish, whether you catch them or not is the other question. But <laughs> yeah, that's how I got into it. Uh, long story long. Long yeah. story long. <laughs> I like well, it. I, I like part of the sentiment you said is, you know, there's a steep learning curve to horse training, fly fishing. I don't know, you know, all big game that, hunting, yeah. all of it. There is definitely, there's, there's just so much to learn. And by hiring a professional and going, you know, flaming gorge, Lake trout, right? Oh man, yeah. You, you could spend a lot of trips, a lot of weekends, just trying to figure out where fish are, or you can pay a guide, hop in his boat. He's going to run you out to the spots that he's already been producing fish. So there is something said to that. The other piece of it is though, don't don't go back to his spot next weekend with your own boat and be yeah, and don't ever you know. GPS anybody's spots. Yeah, <laughs> up in Alaska, they were talking about people doing that when they oh, visit. Yeah. They get a guide for a day, and then they think they can go out and rent a boat, you know, the next day, and they're watching because you know, that big screen and those Alaska boats are telling you everything, you know, and if you know what they're saying, you know where to go. And they'll have people say they put their phones like sneaking stuff, like dropping <laughs> pins and stuff. Let's go here, let's go there. Yeah. There's a lot of hours of time, you know, especially in the hunting realm of trying to, you know, just manufacture those spots, I guess. I feel like I don't agree with um, what I said when I said get a guide for fly fishing or, or gear fishing. I suppose it would be the s similar case too as well, like with the Flaming Gorge. But with hunting, man, it seems so much cooler when you don't, when you, you know, harvest that animal not having, you know, yeah, a, an actual DIY. guide. I mean, some help is great. Um, you know, we all need help, especially when we're starting out. Me personally, I need a ton of help. But I feel like with hunting it's just kind of one of those solo maybe one friend things where you're not wanting to to get a guide per se and by the way congratulations on your first ever big game harvest yes it's uh, four nights so yeah just not too long ago it's pretty awesome yeah that's why i say it's just like man that if i didn't have help i wouldn't have been able to do it you know of course but i feel like it just becomes more and more reward rewarding in hunting the more you do it yourself Mm -hmm. It's just one of those things. And fishing gets to be that way too, especially fly fishing. Um, but at first, you don't want to be out there with a fly rod all day long, especially depending on the weather and not catching anything because especially some folks, they won't go back, you know. Yeah, especially if you're a first-time angler because that's super discouraging. It's like, well, what am I doing here? You want to get bit. I mean, that's one of the keys to the whole thing is getting bit by something and keeping your interest peaked. But um, well, that's... Uh there's an inst interesting correlation between my fishing background, my hunting background, right? And I see uh, a lot of people, whereas I, I can speak for Patrick, is he doesn't like to dead stick fish. I don't like to dead stick fish. And by that, I mean, put a worm in a bobber and sit there and we, no, thank you, right? Part of what allured me at 11, 10, 12 years old to fly fishing was just the, the rhythmic movement of the, of the rod, right? I didn't catch a ton of fish. We went and caught mostly brookies, right? And it was, but there's a, a piece to that, that where in fly fishing specifically, you can tie the lure. You have a very involved role of presenting that lure. And then, you know, guys get into it to where they're actually even building their own fly rods, mm -hmm. right? So you're, you're getting as close to involved with harvesting that fish. It's not not trying to throw any shade on bait casting and bait fishing. I do it all the time. And, you know, I'll, I'll use 
I'll use a rifle, I'll use a bow, I'll use a fly rod, I'll use a bait rod. Whatever's going to work that day is, I'm, I'm, I'm not prejudiced. You're just an all-around outdoorsman, yeah. Yeah, but there is something to the bow hunting and the fly fishing that is a little more involved. Definitely. Just feels a little more, I can't can't articulate it. You, you know what I'm saying, It's Patrick. like primitive, you yeah, know? It's, it's more like, primitive. Yeah, definitely. And we get in touch with our, our primitive side a little bit more. Well, and you classes. have to be so in tune to what you're doing, right? Like, so on a, a fly cast presentation, you have to pay attention to every single thing that you're doing. Just like if you're bow hunting, your stock and approach, everything has to be perfect. You have to pay attention to what's going on. Although the, one of the cool things about fly fishing is you can make a terrible looking cast and still catch fish. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say, you can get pretty lucky sometimes depending on the hatch, you know, if there's a, if there's some good feeding going on, sometimes you don't, you know, you can tie some butt end, which for those of you that don't know is really thick line that, so you're not even going to matter. The fish isn't going to care because it's just eaten, you know, so much. I've been on salmon fly hatches that have been, you could tie 30 pound test on the end there and they're going to eat that thing no matter what. You're never going to lose a fish. Right. So that's what some of the, they do. Some of the guides do for the old timers. <laughs> yeah. I have a friend that guides and says, you know, it's not a, you don't always have to have the prettiest cast, but you have to have the right drift, you know? So as long as you have that fly presented in the drift properly, you're okay. Right. So the, the cast may not look great, but Hey, if it gets in front of the fish the way it's supposed to, it's going to work. But that being said, you know, I traditional bow hunted before I harvested my first animal. And I'm telling you, I'm harvesting my first animal after years of traditional bow hunting with no success, no luck. I didn't put the time that was really needed. And by that, I put in time, but some significant time is needed with traditional bow hunting. Um, and I sucked at it. And so I did pick up a rifle a couple of months ago, terrified as can be. I hate loud noises. I've never, that's why I've shot a trad bow. I love the no sound, the quiet, the primitive stalking stealth. I I love all of that about it, but no success. If I want to harvest something for meat to feed, you know, food's becoming more difficult to find. It's kind of scary. And we're fortunate to live someplace where that's available. And so I picked up a rifle a couple months ago and I harvested an animal and there's so much to all of that. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I mean, it is difficult. It was, it was a big, it was a big challenge for me. So having gone from, you know, being kind of like, well, I don't really care for guns to now being like, oh my gosh, these things are amazingly cool. It's so scary and so incredible to be able to utilize one and harvest your own food and learn properly and learn the safety uh, aspect of it and um, just know how serious it is but how incredibly addicting now you've well. done it now, now you're gonna want to keep going back every year and putting in for all the tags you can right yeah maybe i don't know i'm not there yet no but i'm you not like be. david over here who's <laughs> well there's a huge difference inviting friends over on a Friday, firing the barbecue up and pulling out a, you know, a package of, let's say I've got some mountain goat and some Sitka blacktail that's in the freezer right now reserved for special occasions. Right. And I get to present that be like, yeah, this is some of the mountain goat that I just spent three weeks hunting in, you know, kind of like your Belize trip. You get a fish, you bring it home, you show it, you show the picture, but then you're like, here, try some of this fish. Right. Same similar concept nobody gets excited of, hey come check out the cow i bought it at walmart yesterday we're gonna cook it tonight it's, there's no there's <laughs> no emotion no connection right. versus that clean protein that i put in the freezer is well it was backpacked out for miles at a 100 pound pack right and it's, it's a lot of love in there there's a lot of love and a lot of care but it's it's something i'm glad to do and i'm excited 
to get to share that meal with that person because in a way I'm getting to share the hunt with them. Yeah. I want to give away my whole first harvest. I'm already like, how can I package this up? Who can I give it to for Christmas? Of course, mm. I want to keep some for myself, but I'm just like, how can I make jerky? Which I found out because I thought I didn't have a dehydrator. I don't have an actual dehydrator and I don't have a smoker. So I'm like, how can this person who doesn't have these things make this deer jerky that I want to make? Well, I found I can just like put a low setting on the oven and mm -hmm. just put it in there too. So, uh, so follow the instructions on high mountain seasoning. Yes, that's what I'm getting for add a, sure. Add a, like a tablespoon of liquid smoke if you're going to do like hamburger and that'll give you the smoky flavor that you would get from a traditional smoker. Yeah, like the oven's like 195, 175, mm -hmm. maybe yeah. 200, not, not over two, 210 for no, yeah. just watch it like just a hawk. Yeah. yeah. Cause you don't want to dry it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm like you, I'm just really thankful to be able to share that. I think that's yeah. how I've known all hunters really main, most of them, uh, to be sharing their bounty, sharing their harvest. Um, and so, yeah, I've got a, um, a new renowned respect for that now. And the, I want to get your take on that just because there's the Hollywood take and the Disney world take of, Hey, these hunters drive around are just ruining the resource, just completely trampling on our public lands. And you know, now that you're one of us, yes. right? I'm, I'm glad you are, but, <laughs> <laughs> but do you see how wrong that, that interpretation of oh, the hunting yeah. community is? Oh, I got attacked my first time. I have my very first kill just a few days ago. My very first harvest, I should say. People didn't like me using the word kill, by the way. I'm new to this. I'm not sure what the right way. Kill my harvest. very first you, harvest. You, you I put my very it, first kill. So. I did kill it. That's frankly what I said. Yeah. I got my first, a lady I've known for a really long time was not uh, pleased with, with the uh, harvest and the kill. And, um, I just kept thinking in my mind and to explain to her, I ended up not engaging on Facebook because I just don't like doing that. So I erased it because people Best were going call. to attack her. Like first off, uh, you know, where we live and where I'm from, uh, mainly hunters and fishers and it's a way of life and a way to feed their families. And so I know that they weren't going to take kindly to it. So I erased it, but I was thinking, first off, I hunted in an, er in an area that has one of the worst CWD populations in the world. Um, the reason that the CWD is so prevalent is because these deers are, deer are congregating together. The population is, you know, when it congregates together and increases, they end up having a CWD issue. So it's one of the worst in the world. And so how are we doing our part? Well, they need to regulate and harvest the animals so that they can test, not only that they can test, but that they can try to eliminate some of that congregation too. And so, um, I feel like that was kind of a big part of when I harvested that animal, you know, I felt like I was really important in that area um, due to the, just the numbers and the data that they've already got from that area. So in another other area, you know, no matter what area it is, regulation of animals, if they get too populous, they get killed off from disease and other things like that. There's a number of things that cause an issue, right? Oh yeah. And, and I'm just new too. So I'm like, mm -hmm. no, you know. no, the biologists are, are actively working on that situation. You're hundred percent correct that we've, we do have one of the worst outbreaks and death rates and we had actually EHD and then we had CWD and EHD is, I'm going to butcher it, but it's a hemorrhagic hemorrhagic disease and they bleed to death internally. And we had that first, they call it blue tongue. And then we've got the CWD, which is the chronic wasting disease. So you're, you're correct. But think about if somebody would have hit the same deer you shot with a car, it's like, oh yeah, I hit a deer the other day. And it's, it's not even a, oh, that sucks for you. Nobody says, oh, that sucks for the deer, right? But you go out and ethically, legally harvest an animal. You're excited about it. You're going to share it. You're utilizing all the protein, which 
you know, you haven't hired a hitman third party to go kill <laughs> right. a cow for you. Your hands are quote unquote clean, right? Mm-hmm. No, with this deer, you had to get your hands dirty. And you know really exactly <laughs> what the process involves going from an animal living out in the field eating its dinner to it's now your dinner. And that, that process is not to be taken lightly by any hunter. Oh, it's unique. It's very special. And uh, yeah, just I just still can't believe that I was a, a part of something that magnificent. And the fact that we're able to to do that and to feed. I mean, like we talked about finding food and being, a, you know, a single adult too isn't cheap either. So it's like that means a lot to me, the harvest that I'm going to be able to have just personally and financially. And that was a whole other side of explaining to people who don't really understand the whole hunting, you know, thing. It's like, well, you'll go get a half of a cow you know, from somebody, it's the same concept. You're getting it straight from the producer, and, you know, technically I am too, Mother Nature. You're um, not, but you're now farmer, rancher, butcher, you know, you're you're now all yes, of it. I know, you're, I got skin it, I'm processing it yeah. here coming up, so, yeah. I'm happy for you. I think it's really cool, and there's a lot of people getting into hunting, uh, you know, non-traditional hunters like yourself, and I think that that's important. And it's cool to hear this people tell the story they're like oh man because i can remember being a kid and and doing it but i think it's different as an adult oh and non-traditional adult. i'm in my 30s and i've just harvested my first animal it's never grew up with any hunting or fishing no outdoors background whatsoever and i had this just strong desire and i had to like claw my way into a lot of things to be able to get some help because I'll tell you what you need it especially as you become an older adult you have so many weird obstacles and fears that you don't have as a kid and so you definitely I think in my personal opinion need a little bit more help sometimes if you're in your 30s or maybe 40s and you're listening to this and you're like I just want to hunt well sometimes you need to find friends and resources to be able to do so, but it's going to take you a little bit and it's going to probably the learning curve is a little bit different than it would be when, you know, you're a kid with no fear and having it in your background or, you know, kind of continually by your parents or grandparents. I do have a question just because I think this is super topical right now. Back to the CWD. If my deer comes back, because it's in a mandatory test area with CWD, what do I do? Supposedly it's not non-transmissionable to humans. And the disease is actually in the spinal and brain fluid anyways. What if I, I don't think I hit the spine. So I, that should I, be good. I would eat it. I mean, I, I don't want to, I know I don't want to part with my first harvest. I, I want to give it and share it. And there are some people out there who I've said, have said, if it has CWD, I wouldn't eat it. And so I'm like, you know, the back and forth being the first time harvest and in an area where the prevalence is high. Luckily with, I have a, it was a white tailed doe. I believe that those numbers are the lowest. So I'm, kind of crossing my fingers yeah um anyways but uh yeah so it's kind of a such an interesting topic right now it seems like i would and i would talk to your biologist about it i mean that's that's the biggest thing is just talk to them i'm not gonna say that somebody should or shouldn't i'll tell you what i would do i'd eat it it. okay i have to think it's been probably done before many times i would assume just because of you know how guarantee it we weren't we weren't mandatory testing for a while so you know, I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion I would eat it. So. Well, good. I, I, I value your <laughs> opinion and with all your expertise and yours as well, Patrick. So, um, it's just, you know, you have that first harvest. You don't even want to think about, Oh, I know not being able to utilize it just because of the whole concept of me going out <laughs> just yeah. to get food. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by PK Lures. If you're like me, 
You're probably out on the water pursuing your favorite fish this time of year. Open water season is the most fun for me, and I always have PK lures in my tackle box ready to go for my fishing trips. Some of the ones that I would recommend for this time of year, the PK Spin-A-Jig. If you're a jig fisherman, it's a must-have. It adds extra flash to your jig. You can tip it with anything you want, and it is downright effective for trout, walleye, panfish, and bass. The other thing I'd recommend is if you like to troll, there's a lot of options for that as well. My kids and I have done really well on the Ridgeline crankbait this season. We've caught a ton of different trout and also a lot of walleye. So that's a great option as well. If you like to troll crawler harness type options, the PK Wobbler and PK Dakota Disc have always been a go-to bait for me. So you can check all these out and much more at pklure.com. Again, pklure.com. Back to the show. So food access, that's kind of, I want to just switch gears a little bit, you know, obviously that access key for that access piece for fishing or hunting is pretty crucial. What are some ways somebody's new into hunting? Cause that's, that's probably one of the biggest barriers to entry in fishing and hunting is finding somewhere where you're actually going to be successful. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to live here, we got enough public land. You just park your car and walk to where you don't see boot tracks and you'll be okay. But might take you a while. <laughs> it might take you a while. But let's hypothetically pick a different state that doesn't have the public land resource we have. What what are some keys of that private land piece that are will help somebody become successful? Um, joining organizations, Ducks Unlimited, um, any other kind of, you know, uh, backcountry hunters and anglers are, are su- uh, one. DU, though, does a ton with uh, uh, private land and landowners. And uh, you would be surprised having a connection with that and volunteering uh, what might open up or doors might open up. And that go- uh, is the same for a lot of organizations. Um, you know, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, too. There's just a lot of resources, I Pheasants think. Pheasants Forever. Pheasants Trout Forever, Unlimited. of course, TU. Yeah. Especially when they're doing habitat volunteer um, events and you show up to those. Yeah, it may take up your weekend. It may take your Saturday. But I'll tell you right now that I personally have received offers and invitations from folks that have had access or private ponds or something you know that's just a different interesting a way to get uh get fish get you know on land get on water too as well um another one of course is uh making that relationship creating a relationship with uh, a landowner landowner private landowner if you're you know uh looking on a map or something and you see you know wyoming game and fish has a bunch of information about landowners that will allow you to hunt or fish on their property and they have certain details and certain times First off, super crucial that we all respect that and follow the rules. Respect the landowner. Oh, because it's so important. And if we don't, then it's the saying, one bad apple ruins it for everybody. And it's really, really true. Um, So uh, following the rules, creating that relationship. I just was fortunate to be on some private land. I baked the lady a bunch of cookies. I'm coming over there to thank her with the landowner tag. She gets about $15. It's not much, but it's something for her. So I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to turn that in and uh, give her some baked cookies. And who knows, maybe she'll invite me back. Yeah. You know, I'm curious to see if that's something it's my first time really doing that for hunting. I've done it for, for fishing, uh, you know, getting local little goodies like high mountain seasonings and some stuff like that. And it goes a long ways and you only end up spending like 30 or 50 bucks, you know? Yeah. And I can talk about it a little bit from a landowner perspective. Cause I have people come and hunt whitetail off of my property and you know, you have the people that show that they 
you know, like if you bring a kid to my house and, you know, you have a plan and you're nice about it, I'm probably going to let you go back there and sit and wait for a whitetail to come out or something like that. But there's some that, you know, I've had that have been pretty disrespectful and, I have other friends, you know, Jason, to me, they'll, they'll have people come out and they drive where they're not supposed to, or they cross over into an area they're not supposed to maybe shoot the gun across the land in the wrong direction, which is super dangerous. So from a landowner perspective, it is pretty risky when you open up your doors to somebody else. And that's why the game and fish access yes program. And some of those other things where you have landowners that are saying, Yes, I'll allow people to come on. If you're an angler and there's water access, don't leave your worm containers, your beer bottles, all your junk down there on the bank because that access, yes, is going to go away. Those yeah, landowners pack are going to close it. Pack it out. No yep. matter what you're doing, pack yep. it in, pack it out. And, you know, if a big one, like you said, is driving, especially if we're talking private property, especially ag ground, nobody wants their crops driven in. So, yep. you know, just where would you like me to park? Where can I access this? Please and thank you. You know, pack it in, pack it out. When in doubt, leave it out. If you're questioning something and you don't know whether or not that landowner would be okay with that, do not do it. When in doubt, leave it out. It's important for the long term and the longevity of it. And it's hard to remember that when you're down there and you're excited. It really is. I understand you're fishing and, you know, uh, catching fish, especially if you're new to it or you're, or it's an area that you haven't been able to fish and it's got big fish in it or something. Uh, but it's important to always have that in, you know, you're the back your head that you don't want to make that decision yourself on somebody else's property. Yeah. I think it goes back to like the idea of the platinum rule, which is treat others better than you expect to be treated. Like if you could put yourself in that landowner's shoes of how would I want someone to treat my land if they were coming to fish or hunt, try to do better than, than, than even that, you know, look for a way to go above and beyond like your idea of baking cookies. That's a great thing to do. You know, it shows I've been up since 5 a.m. doing that for. Yeah, exactly. But it shows that landowner you really appreciate it. And I think that goes a long ways into developing a relationship that you can continue to do that. Yeah, and I hope other people want to, you know, try to create that relationship with with folks there too. Uh, We live in a great place where, you know, you don't necessarily need to, um, you know, reach out to be able to hunt because of the the public access, but it's nice to be able to have some of those options. And it's also just nice to be able to meet some of these folks that – you know, are some people you probably would never encounter otherwise. And I think, you know, to be honest, this lady let us hunt because it was two ladies. My friend let her know that I'm an older, you know, lady, not older, but not older, (laughs) darn it, (laughs) in my thirties. And I had never harvested an animal before. And I had tried, you know, with, with a traditional bow and um, the lady seemed you know, more keen on allowing me to come on because of that, you know, it had a story to it. We had, you know, a plan, we had, uh, you know, an execution if anything, you know, happened. And I learned about what farmers do not like with gut piles, which I didn't know, you know, like, you know, you want to get that away from all of their, their field and all that kind of stuff, you know? So that was really cool to be able to be in that instance where, you know, my friend was teaching me, like, if, you know, you get invited back to some place that has a field like this and stuff like that. You never leave this gut pile just in the middle here. You know, you want to get it away because this is their working land. And it was just good to just get that, you know, lesson and be able to remember that, you know, that's a part of the respect is, you know, some people get invited out and they don't know to do that. And mm-hmm. now I do. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by High Mountain Seasonings. 
It's that time of year. If you're fishing, you're out in the field, you're catching a lot of fish, and you need some good fish brine to smoke up those trout fillets, you can go to highmountainjerky.com or himtnjerky.com. And it's also that time of year to stock up before hunting season. So if you need the absolute best jerky seasoning on the market, you can check out their jerky seasoning kits. They're very easy to do, no matter whether you're doing whole muscle meat or ground jerky. They've got everything that you need. If you want to cook fish, like on a pan sear fish or cooked duck or pheasant or whatever you're cooking, they have the seasoning for you. So again, go check out our friends at High Mountain Jerky. You can go to himtnjerky.com and check out all their different options. Now back to the show. And if you're a hunter, really pay attention to where you're shooting. There's cases every year in Wyoming where someone's shooting in an antelope and they shoot over the antelope and hit a cow or a piece of equipment or something like that irrigation pipe. You really have to pay attention to what's on the backdrop. I mean, that's a general rule for hunters, but I think some people forget about that when they're on private property is that that landowner probably has a stack of irrigation pipe, especially where we live, right? Or might have a tractor back there or a shed or animals. So you have to pay close attention. And I always, you know, if I'm going to hunt on someone else's land, I'm like, okay, tell me kind of what's around. So I, cause I don't want to shoot into an area where I might accidentally hit something that you have. And most of them are like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that. And it's like, Oh, I'm glad I asked. Cause you don't know. It's cause it's point. not your yeah. ground. Yeah. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by the bow spider. If you haven't heard of the bow spider yet, you'll have to go to bowspider.com and see what it's all about. If you're a bow hunter and you want to go hands-free in the field, you really need a bow spider packing system out here in the West cover a lot of miles and it's good to be able to put your bow on your back or on your side and get a little break from toting it around the field. The bow spider packing system has a lot of different options. You can use it in tree stands. You can use it on the headrest of your truck to transport your bow. You can put it on your pack and carry it around on your back. You can also put it on your side. So if you haven't checked it out, go to bowspider.com and check out the bow spider. You can also go to YouTube and type in Bow Spider and go to their channel. They have how-to videos to show you exactly how to use their products. Again, you can check out the Bow Spider by going to bowspider.com. Again, that's bowspider.com. Now back to the show. No, these are these are all good points. You know, like you said, keep keep the gut pilot area clean. I've I've come across a lot of other hunters where they've left their gloves, right? They use disposable gloves. It's like, you know, Great, you got it at not in the middle of the field and didn't leave a mess, but you still left some garbage that's going to be out there. So so pick that up. But one thought, Patrick, is uh, my uh, father-in-law's shop has a bullet hole about 12 feet high in the you know east wall, and the west wall has one about 4 feet high. Somebody was in the backfield on the neighbor's property shooting at a deer, clearly missed, but obviously there was a 40 by 60 shop in the backdrop. And if somebody had been in there, you know, that's it's things like that so back to the basics it's terrifying of, it's, it's terrifying <laughs> that's yeah. why i had so much fear too with a rifle was yeah. it's not to be taken lightly well it, the bullet goes a long ways and i have a neighbor who had a, a picture window blown out by a hunter i mean that's their house that's where they live that's i mean you talk about rattling your cage 
Right. I mean, that's a big deal. So yeah, that's you an easy really... way to not get folks invited back and <laughs> or, to not have anybody invited back, frankly. Yeah. Or the next time somebody knocks on the door, hey, can I go shoot some whatever in your field? It's like, mm, no, last time we let somebody, we had a window shot out or a cow shot or a tractor shot or gate pipe or, or maybe they just target practiced on a wellhead, right? Something. The other thing too, shut the gates. Like that, that's a big one. Like well, that leave, I hear all the, the time. Gates the way you found. Yeah, exactly. So 100%. if you, if you open a gate to access a pasture, close, close the it because not, not, not when you're done, <laughs> now, drive the vehicle yeah. through and close the gate. Yeah. Cause yeah. a lot of times they'll have cattle there and maybe they go through that area to go to the water or whatever. And then they exit the property and then that landowner, you may has not to, even see the cattle. Yeah. They might be done, but those things, all, all livestock know they got like, there's a they gate got down. like GPS. <laughs> oh, They're yeah. like, Oh, gate down. Let's go. Yep. Yeah. And that's the least fun for any uh, landowner or rancher too. So you're not making their day any better when that happens. And there's a huge liability to that because let's say like around here, there's a lot of black Angus cows. Well, you leave a gate open, they end up on the highway somebody hits one of those at night, kills somebody. That's a huge liability for that landowner. So, I mean, that's what I think a lot of people don't remember is that when you come onto their land, you're falling under like, you know, they have insurance on that land, hopefully. Um, But they're taking a risk by having you there. Like, it's not just, you know, and if they say no, there's probably a reason, mm-hmm. right? Like they probably have a legit reason to say no, but they are definitely taking a personal risk by allowing you to hunt. I'm so thankful that lady did that because you're right. It was, she didn't have to do that and it was, you know, a risk. But I think, you know, just having learned a lot of the hunting uh, basics with a rifle from somebody who's just, you know, so into safety and importance of ethics too, which was so important for me. It helped a lot. But I was thinking to myself, I was like, there's a lot of people who shouldn't be hunting, which is terrifying to me because the population's increasing. There are more and more hunters every single year and kids who are becoming of age and just sometimes I think about, you know, no offense to some folks that I know, but I'm like, you should not have this high powered rifle. <laughs> and, you know, cause it is very serious. You have to, you know, and you have to really honor, in my opinion, the animal, mm-hmm. um, cause you're taking a life and everything has to be done at the right moment at the right time with safety in mind and humans in mind and anything, you know, and you're behind scope as well. And, um, and if you don't, kill the animal and just wound it. I mean, that's another thing that just terrifies me. I don't ever want to, you know, just leave an animal wounded. No. So something that doesn't get talked about, you do this long enough, rifle, bow, trad, compound, crossbow, eventually something's going to go south. It just, you do it long enough. It's, I mean, it's just the the law of averages, but you know, I've shot three, 4,000 arrows this year out of my bow practicing so that I am within my let, lethal ethical distance when it's time to take that shot and you'll get as you do this more and more to where and i've i've seen it a lot with female hunters less so with male hunters of hey that's not quite the great shot yet and a, a, a female hunter will be like, okay i'm not taking it all right mm-hmm. it's like no just just wait the animal's gonna take two or three more steps and he'll right. present you with the proper shot and a lot of times the younger male hunters are just a little more gung-ho and, and letting lead fly. So I do have to give kudos to a young man that I packed his bull out here a week ago. He's 12, harvested a really nice six-point bull. Nice. Early Ooh. in the morning, he had a very small elk, and there were some other hunters about 800 yards behind his elk that was at like 250. He opted not to shoot because... 
there's other people in his sight picture. Great job on him. Great restraint. Mm-hmm. You know, two hours later, he's rewarded with a really nice elk, and he made good. He made a couple lethal shots. He had to, he got a little excited after the first couple lethal ones and had to calm down. And right. So, you know, there's those things, and it's as an adult onset hunter, I think people need to just ask questions, right? Like mm-hmm. you said, 12 year olds are like, oh, this is the way we've always done it, or this is why dad, and they, sometimes they pick up on things. I mean, I took the three-year-old doe antelope hunting a week and a half ago, and you speak about gun safety. I'm like, okay, once we got into go time, I made him hold on to my bino strap as I was army crawling up, right? He's a foot and a half tall. He doesn't have to army crawl. (laughs) You know, I have to army crawl, but I didn't want him getting in front of the gun while Mm -hmm. I'm paying attention to the animals. So being able to feel that little tug on my bino strap, now I know he's right beside me. He's got his little earmuffs on. Okay, are you ready, bud? Yep. He's right there, and he got to witness. He wanted to go. He was The whole reason we went on that doe antelope hunt was for him, right? right? He's been hounding me. But there's some of those things, and if we didn't get one, that's okay, too. It's a it's a doe antelope hunt, right? Mm-hmm. So, But as that adult onset hunter, what are some things you've seen, maybe some questions you've just had that you had to ask that I guess as an adult would be a little bit hard to articulate right to another human being like hey what do i do with the meat or what do i do oh yeah i mean skinning it processing it i mean that's a whole like oh my gosh how do i find the grain to cut jerky how do i follow the tendon or the meat like i went through a you know anatomy and but how do it's totally different for a deer what was that noise after i shot well it was you shooting is that noise that when you hit an animal i've never hit an animal i've been shooting metal so i've been ding 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 all my practice shots (laughs) ding 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 and all of a sudden i hear this boom sounds like a thump of a drum yes yeah and uh so you know you know what was that and uh, learning not to prairie dog because even though I don't follow my arrow traditionally when I've have hunted archery for some reason with the gun I'm instantly which moves your gun by the way it's not good not good to do but I'm instantly wanting to look outside of the scope to see what's happening like a curious no nope, I'm stay so on curious target. anyways but stay on target reload yeah and hopefully you have a spotter that will tell you you need to shoot again right or you know because if yeah I've seen that happen way too many times you know elk hunters are like take their first shot and they're expecting the animal just flop over and be done right mm-hmm. and we all expect that but to 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 get the gun reloaded to stay on the gun and to get back on target and same thing archery i've seen people prairie dog with archery you're like what arrow goes off and the animal runs out there 10 yards turn around look back like what's going on it's like if you'd been <laughs> reloading and drawing right. your bow again yeah we could have ready yeah so yeah, so that's definitely one of them. I've had so many things, David. It's just been, I have a terrible fear of guns. So I've gone down this path of fear every time I go practice shooting. But like you said, if I, I mean, I've been practicing this summer and uh, just a few days before I went and harvested that animal. But um, if I, I didn't do that, then I wouldn't be ready and I, it wouldn't be ethical to go out hunting, right? So you have to practice. Even if you're scared, <laughs> you have to practice. And so uh, when practicing, I had, you know, just all kinds of questions like, what are the crosshairs like like things that might be just completely you know second nature to some people or what's that little dot down there you know and just you know rain using rangefinder properly and better too is key because not only do I look forward to you know hunting but I look forward to helping you know you know alongside being that person's that got the binos and the rangefinder because that's what I needed when I went hunting because she was ranging for me. And it was at 270 and I wasn't quite comfortable. Like you had mentioned, wasn't, I'd shot at 300 and I did okay, but she just wasn't right. And so I waited and waited and I was really shaky too. <laughs> so I had to like <laughs> take a deep 
take a deep breath and it wasn't working. I actually had to stabilize myself a little bit on her because I was shaking so bad. So it wasn't right to take a shot like that. So I had to wait. And then I finally calmed down just enough and she turned just the right way and she dropped right there, but I blacked out. I like either blacked out from adrenaline or prairie, prairie dogged and blacked out or who knows what I did. <laughs> um, but she was on it spotting and she's the one that told me it dropped right away. And I was felt better because I was like, okay, A, I know I didn't wound it. B, she was there for me because I wasn't capable of, because of my excitement and adrenaline to, she knew that anyways. Uh, and I didn't have to track it. It didn't run into anybody's private land across the way. I mean, there was just all kinds of things that it was a benefit for. And I think waiting is what did that. Well, Shireen, I, I'm on the same side of the coin. I much prefer to be the caller or the observer. Because then all the trigger pressure is not on me, right? <laughs> when, when you can remove that, it's like, okay, well, either this person's going to make a great shot or not. I just get to be a witness and get to be here and have fun. But oh, that's if, exciting, too. If it ever gets to where it's not exciting, it's probably time for that person to hang it up. I mean, I've been doing this a long time, and it's still... You know, taking my three-year-old out and shooting a doe antelope, that's not a trophy hunt. Yeah. Helping know? a 12-year-old take a six-point out, that's, I mean, oh, it's, that's it's excitement. Awesome. It's fun yeah, getting to be part special. of, you know, both those young men are going to remember, oh, that's the guy that took me and, you know, we went and did that. So yep. I'm thankful to get to start to truly pass it on, right? Thanks for doing that, too. And, and outside of your family, too, I, I assume you're talking about as well. And I talk a lot about that to some folks. There's a lot of women's things out there, and there really are. If you look for them, you can find them. I don't find a ton of things for young men who don't have, you know, a, a, a father who hunts or a grandfather who hunts, and they've just never been exposed to it like myself. Um, you know, there's not as many of those publicized resources. So it's great to word of mouth it and to have you know your connections and your friends in the community that you're able to help that have kids well or, we're like five percent of the population right and i i really think 50 percent of the people are really indifferent to hunting maybe even 70 percent there's only five or ten percent that are adamantly anti-hunting not going to do it and there's five percent that are pro i'm going to hunt till the day i die right so we do need to be careful of our image social media landowner in the public, just the way we, we converse of, of, of the reverence we do have for this. Cause I mean, it is, you see all the totems in this building here, right? And it's a lot of people think that that's some sort of bloodlust glutton, maybe just look at me, how, how big am I? And it's, those are, are accomplishments. Those are major life accomplishments. And I want to remember that animal that time, you know, once, once the meat's gone, once the memory of the trip's gone, all I really have left is kind of a photo and a mount. And I can tell you, hey, I went and did this, and I went there. And I'm anymore, I want to go to every continent on every species <laughs> there is. You should. I, do I, it. I don't know if I'll get quite that good, but I've been going I have as faith much as you'll I get there because you have <laughs> been going. And I have that same dream with fishing, but now obviously I've got to an addiction now. And I haven't been able to sleep much since the night before I hunted you know, for my first time with a rifle. And so I know that I'm definitely into it because I haven't been able to sleep. And last night I did sleep for a little bit, but I woke up dreaming of, of that doe and, 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 <laughs> and, the, and the whole hunt and everything. So um, I'm sure it gets even more addictive as you start to travel the world. And now you're hooked on hunting, not just fishing. I don't know, man. I don't know if I can hang with the hunters like we talked about. It's, <laughs> it's intense. And you build up to it though. Yeah. Yeah. I'll learn. I want to, yeah. you know, I'm going to get a little bit into trapping just a little bit because I want to learn. I think I hear there's nobody really who knows animals better than trappers, you know, some of those, you know, intense trappers and they have to set those traps just exactly right and know exactly how that animal is going to move. And 
So I'm going to just learn a little bit more about that. And I think it's important to, you know, I don't want to get spoiled too much because I don't deserve that. So I don't, I don't want to try to beg my friend who, you know, the people in our lives that are such great uh, hunters and have really worked for it. Um, you know, you got to do some work yourself. So I'm going to try to do what I can myself. And uh, I'm looking at a, a new, uh, new skinning knife I'm going to get. So just adding a couple of things to my catalog too, I think is, is going to be my focus. And I think it's good that you have that perspective of earning it. You know, I, I think a lot of the, unfortunately, a lot of the anglers that try to interact with me, they don't really want to go out there and learn it and kind of figure it out. They just want me to show them how to do everything. They just want your fish finder, man. And they want my spot, right? <laughs> and that that that's super disrespectful to me, like, because I'm like, well, I've spent a long time working on this and honing this skill and figuring out fish patterns and movements so that I could do this, you know, and it, it, that part's kind of hard for me to swallow. So I, I don't know how you feel about that with fishing and, and maybe even hunting too, but what's your perspective on that? Like the attitude, maybe somebody should bring if they're going to come to an experienced person to ask for help. Oh, well, first off, I don't, you know, it's hard to even, you know, come to an experienced person and ask for help sometimes just because, uh, it's intimidating, you know, I think first off for a, a lot of people too. So, um, I think, you know, realizing that they're probably not here to intimidate you first off. And so that's where I think, you know, I think intimidation makes people act like jerks. Sometimes I think when they get in the presence of some folks that, you know, they probably trust know what they're doing, but, could be a little self-conscious and in, in the grand scheme of things, I think that's when it happens. So just not being intimidated and like the gal that I'm hunting with, she's like one of the, she's got the world record crossbow with an antelope and all these things, you know, she travels the world as well. And you would think I would be intimidated by her, but I'm not, she never gives that off to me anyways, but I'm not intimidated by her and I've come. And that's what she said to me. She's like, you've shown up with a great attitude and you're terrified of this. Um, and uh, you've shown up with a good attitude. But the reason I had the good attitude is because I wasn't intimidated. I think personally, um, intimidation can just, you know, cause so many emotions and feelings when you're, especially when you're doing something like hunting and fishing is so cool. So many people want to do it. It's difficult. That's why not as many people are obsessed and traveling the world like David and my friend are is because it's not easy. I mean, shoot a 370, right? Or Cape Buffalo or something, or, you know, I mean, there's just so much to it. So um, just having a good attitude is important, but not being intimidated. I think for me personally, because when I get intimidated, I start feeling a little sassier. Yeah. And I like it when people come with some humility and just say, Hey, I need help with this and not just say, Hey, where's your spot? Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. it's important on us too, to be as the, uh, <laughs> you know, cause in fly fishing, I've been doing it a long time. I'm not a, you know, a novice at it either. So somebody comes to me, it's important. I don't make them feel intimidated. Yeah. You know, I want to, you know, just be under the radar, you know, not trying to be like, Oh, I know everything about it. Or you're doing this wrong and this wrong and this wrong, you no, know, nobody, so, nobody likes the guy on the river or the field or the field saying, well, you're just doing it all wrong and you don't know anything and belittling people. Yeah. There's gotta be a name for that person. I need to Tom, think of it. Frank, Tom, Frank, yeah. Sam, something. I, don't know. <laughs> I did have one thought. There was a, a very senior, very um, well-versed trapper that went to a family farm and taught a young boy how to catch fox on the farm. Right, showed him all the places, showed him how to set the traps, and that guy every year brought in some of the most beautiful, best fox in the whole county. Finally, the farm got sold, and that guy who'd been bragging for years about how good a fox trapper he went had to go trap other land and couldn't hardly trap. 
the moral of the story is that old time trapper had taken the time to learn his craft, to learn the animal. I mean, it'd be like taking Patrick here and sticking him on a different lake for walleye, mm-hmm. right? It's going to take him a minute. But while I, Patrick's going to go, okay, well, they should be using this structure. They're going to be this depth of water. They're, this is this and this and that. And he's going to have figured the fish out to where he'll get on fish pretty quick. Doesn't matter what reservoir he's on. Give him three days. He's going to put you on fish, right? That's because Patrick knows how the walleye are utilizing the landscape. Mm-hmm. That trapper knew how those fox were utilizing the landscape. If somebody just gives you the coordinates and gives you the lure and says, here, go here, and you don't know why those fish are there. What is it pre-spawn? Is it during spawn? Is it post-spawn? Are they migratory? You know, same thing with antelope. You know, same thing with elk. Same thing with any species. I don't care if you're hunting or fishing. Learning how that animal is interacting. Why is it feeding on that streamer? Why is that right. fish here at that point in time mm-hmm. using that structure? If you can learn and start picking up on and having that mindset of, because every time I go in the elk woods, specifically every time I go in the elk woods, the elk will teach me something. Now, whether my eyes and ears are open to learning it is a different question. But you get enough elk encounters under your belt, you'll be like, oh, nine out of ten last elk encounters, when when stuff goes sideways, they use this as their escape. Oh, stuff's going sideways? I'm going to beat them to their escape spot. And you show up <laughs> and you're like, oh, look look who's here in front of you already knowing Isn't what you're doing. Isn't that the best? Doing. Oh, it's, it's, it's part of the fun. It's part of the right. game, right? Yeah. And that's, I love hunting and fishing that involves deception, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not because I am feel like I'm tr- deceiving the animal. It's because when I get to turkey call or elk call or put a crankbait in or throw a flat, drop, topwater fly in, and twitch it just right to trick that animal into thinking that I'm interacting with it in its natural habitat. Yeah, and now, they trick an animal that has intense senses, too. Yes. Oh, yeah. like, that's now I'm part awesome, of nature. I'm right? no longer an observer. I'm, I'm there. I'm an active participant. And that's what's so exciting. I mean, duck hunting. Take a couple kids duck hunting, throw some decoys out and and actually get to blow the call and you see the ducks respond and cup their wings and come in. If you're just jump shooting a creek, it's it's a great way to get some ducks. And ducks are good to eat somewhat. Mm-hmm. I, I prefer antelope over ducks, but I'll, depends I'll on what the duck. duck eats, right? Or where they're at, I think. I don't know. I, I, you know, I think carp and ducks are on the same <laughs> <laughs> the same plane of uh, edibility. Fan. Yeah. Uh, it's it's okay. I, I'll, I'll, I'd rather have pheasants for me. Oh yeah. Pheasants, uh, always, always great. I had some great duck the other day. Some friends made it, but they made it on a little like baguette and, uh, it was good, but I think it had been eating corn. I don't know. Again, I'm like, I'm not sure if <laughs> the different areas of, of ducks or what. So again, something I've been telling everybody, cause we had Hank Shaw on this program, go check out Hank Shaw's books. He's got buck, buck, moose, pheasant, quail, cottontail, and hook, line, and supper. And he'll teach you how to cook just about anything. In fact, even carp. Um, Seth Seth Ewing, who helped out on that podcast because David was out of, I think you were in Africa. I, I'm always out um, somewhere, guys. Anyway, I picked up it. on the theme. I'm yet. so glad you're here for this, but, though. But he learned how to do carp, like a smoked carp recipe, and it was actually really, really good. And so, I mean, yeah, I don't know. You got to just try some new things. I'm expanding my horizons. I actually smoked a sucker today. I'm going to see how that tastes. I don't know. That might not be very good, but hey, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to cook. It. We're going to cook a spiny dogfish next time we go yeah, to AK. We are. Nice. Yeah, yes. we caught, yeah, we caught some, some of those some, little sharks, yeah. you know. And, on the uh, spit there yeah, yeah so yeah. we were we were uh, well I actually messaged hank shell and i was like hey can you eat these things he's like yeah but you gotta like kill it immediately get the skin off get the guts out all, all those things because their skin 
like secretes like a urea into the meat if you mm. don't. Mm. And so that's why people are like, oh, they taste bad. Well, he said they make great fish and chips if you process them properly. So we're going to try it. That was a weird question I had when skinning my the deer. All I was worried about was cutting that the urea bag, you know, the, the mm. I'm like, ah. I don't want to just, I don't want to ruin this. Mm -hmm. Like I just was freaking out about it. Cause I, and then also the glands in the leg too. I was like, I don't want to cut those. You you don't, you really don't want to. And and a good butcher is going to, a good butchering process is going to produce a better protein, Mm -hmm. but the animal's already dead. It's not going to get you more dead. You can't mess it up too bad. (laughs) Right. Uh, And after a couple, you'll get any, but Oh, I I did that last time. I don't want to, no, don't cut there. But you're not going to absolutely, it's not going to be ruined to the point of it's no longer consumable. There's just going to be a slight flavor difference for sure. (laughs) And what you're talking (laughs) about is you really don't want to get any of the the gut fluids on your meat. No. There's um, four glands. Each each leg has a gland. You really don't want to sever that gland and get those gland juices. And then on the back legs of almost all of your ungulates, they have scent glands. And Mm. it's on the hair. And you don't want to get that scent on your hands. And then put on the meat because it's that's seasoning, but it's not a good that seasoning. That stuff stinks, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> that's awful. But I know you have to run because yes. um, it's about that time. But I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And we'll we'll do another one. We'll do something you know more fly fishing related and kind of pick your brain on fly fishing because I know that's your passion. But it's been fun talking about access and talking yeah, about been, your first yeah, hunt hunting too. too, especially yeah. with, with David. I know you're the professional, you know, fisher of us and, uh, it's, nah, that's uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> for fly fishing, but not overall, all over angling. Um, but, uh, yeah, just to be able to even just as a greenhorn hunter, be able to just even chat with, with David too and yourself is great. So I hope somebody who's listening isn't an avid, you know, hunter and doesn't know everything and felt like they were on, you know, the same page with me on some of those, you know, questions and and thoughts. And I'm sure they were, but, um, again, uh, if, you know, you're trying to get into hunting or fishing, uh, for, you need somebody to help you. Like, that's just, I would never, the main part of my victory was my friend, Cheryl. Grab a mentor. Yeah. yeah, So get a mentor. They're not always the easiest to find if you didn't grow up in a household and, you know, maybe your parents don't have a connectivity of friends that have, you know, do that, but there are resources out there. There's a lot of projects that are getting started. Uh, There are just kind individuals too, that are hunters or fishers that if you just bag and bag, (laughs) maybe one day. (laughs) I would say, start with looking up where the next hunter safety class is. Get your hunter safety on your belt. That is gonna that is the 101 that is that, the yeah. basics you have to have it and you're gonna some of these questions that people may or may not know are gonna be addressed right the gate issue the you know mm-hmm. safe shot distances i did my hunter stuff. safety so long ago like that i yeah. i feel like i just is that something too it's like i didn't harvest an animal for <laughs> so long after it's, i got that it's good to have a quick refresher a lot of times you can talk to your local game and fish and they'll just take you through real quick like hey don't forget about these things i mean they're happy to do well, now that. I'm especially good. I'm good now. <laughs> especially your game wardens like they're going to be more than happy to do that for you so talk to them but i do i do want to say I think I picked up a really good suggestion from you today. I learned something, you know, bake cookies for all these landowners that if you're going to go ask for access, you I better bake them cookies. Bake cookies. 
Yeah. Hey, that's the cookie guy. Yeah, we'll yeah. let him go fishing. That's the cookie well, guy. You have well, there's to make probably no other cookies. cookie guys. Yes, but, yeah. but the cookies have to be good. <laughs> they do, yeah. But no, just definitely having that relationship with them. The less we alienate them, there have been a lot of things in the news that have made land o- landowners feel alienated and a lot of big stories that have, you know, been yeah. in, in the, the public uh, the last year or so. So if there's anything that we can do, it's not sitting there and thinking we need more public access or that we're better. It's utilizing the public access that we do have in the right ways and being respectful to that and then harnessing those landowner relationships and bringing them back to, you know, wanting to allow hunters to harvest and to have, you know, a donation of maybe, you know, meat. I would like to maybe bring this lady some jerky too, if I ever yep. can actually make it, if I do it right, you know, you I will. could screw it up, but um, I want to try to make jerky with the, with the dough. And um, maybe that's a reason landowners like to allow people to hunt is they might think they might, sh- you sh- might share a little bit of your harvest. I don't know. Um, sharing the bounty seems like that's popular with hunters and fishers alike. So. Yeah. So just treat them well. And again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and we'll have you on again soon. Awesome guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt, or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.